How many of you have seen the Gladiator movie before? Seen it? Uh, it, it is quite a movie. It's a compelling story. And uh, Russell Crowe stars in that movie. And uh, he's a leader in the Roman army. And then he gets basically, um, well, he gets, he gets hoodwinked or whatever you want to say. And he ends up becoming a gladiator. And he finally ends up back in the forum and he kills the evil emperor. But there's a long story in between. And one of the things I want to highlight for you is that you may see some battle scenes in there where Roman armies are depicted as uh, they're carrying their actual shields. And some of you may have noticed that in the carrying of their shields, they actually have these big shields. They're almost like the size of a little door. And those are the shields that the Roman army used uh, in their battles. And what they would do is they would come together as an army and they were able to interlock their shields and they could move together as one with their shields interlocked so that no enemy weapons could get through. And in that time, it was swords and spears and arrows. And what armies in ancient warfare would do is they would dip the tip of their arrows and they would uh, then light them on fire. And they would, if you've seen ancient battle scenes, they would fire off these lit arrows at the enemy and they would try to light trees on fire or they would try to just burn different areas. And so you could see the Roman army, they would move together and they would basically use their shields to cover the front, the top, the back and the sides. They would create almost like an impenetrable box. And what they would do is they would take their shields and they, would, they were made of uh, wood and then they had leather on front and they would soak the shield in water some people say oil, but it was most likely water. And so when the enemy army fired these fiery arrows, as some of your versions say, and they, it shouldn't say missiles because back in that day it was actually arrows, although an arrow can look like a missile. But when the arrows were flying through the air with, on fire, they would hit your soaked shield. And here you can think of your, your shield soaked in the Word of God because the water of the Word of God comes into our life and, and fills us up, and they would extinguish there. One author, he was commenting on the book of Ephesians, and he said, you know, if you were a Roman soldier, you could have a shield that looked like a flaming porcupine, because you would have all these arrows, these flaming arrows in your shield, but they had been extinguished, so they would be kind of smoking. But the good news is that they would be in your shield and not in you, which is really what you want is you want a shield that protects you, right? And so they had two shields. They had the little circular shield for hand-to-hand -hand combat. That's not what we're talking about here. We're talking about the bigger shield, the one with which you can extinguish all, not some, but all of the flaming arrows of the wicked one. And some of you, uh, if you're like me, have, may you, maybe you felt lately that the arrows are just flying, man. And they are everywhere. The culture seems to be on fire. You know, we've, we've had the, the pandemic now moving into the protests and, and the tension and the voices and, and even, you know, some, some differing opinions inside the church, which can be hard to deal with. And so what do we do? How do we walk by faith right now in these kinds of times when it would seem like the enemy is certainly on the prowl and is trying to divide and destroy Remember that the enemy does go about as a roaring lion seeking someone to what? To devour. So 
um, we do have a battle, but here's the good news. One of the pieces of the armor we have, remember, every piece of armor in Ephesians 6 is a metaphor. So you, we literally don't carry around an ancient Roman shield. We have a different kind of shield, and what, what is it called? It's called the shield of what? It's faith. Faith is your shield, not a wooden Leather-covered, water-soaked shield. That's not what we're talking about. That's just the metaphor. That's just the picture. What it's actually depicting is your faith. Your faith is your shield. Now, some people say faith is a force. Some people say faith is positive thinking. But that's not what the Bible teaches. The Bible teaches that faith is object-oriented. Faith is only as good as the object in which it is placed. Amen? So I could have faith that I could fly. I could tell you, you know, I believe that I could go up to the top of a five-story building and I just feel like I could fly today. You know, I've been thinking really positive about my ability to fly. Well, I could take a swan dive off the top of a five-story building, but my faith in my ability to fly won't do me a hill of beans. <laughs> it won't do any good, Right? Because what's going to happen is a greater law is going to kick in called the law of gravity. And, and I would splat on the cement below. See, my faith is only as good as the object in which it is placed. If I place my faith in my ability to fly, I'm going to find out very quickly my faith was faulty. <laughs> Can I get a witness? But if I place my faith in the living God who created me in his image and has given me spiritual resources. Now that's what we're talking about. And the faith that we're talking about, we need to take up the shield. Faith will be your shield. And oh, how we need a shield in this world because we do have enemy archers, if you will, dipping the arrows, you know, shooting the flaming arrows, but we can extinguish every single one of them. And I would also submit to you, there's a picture here about unity. And here's what it is. Just like how the Roman army used to link They'd lock their shields, interlock them to move together uh, against the enemy for victory. So we lock shields with other believers. We have the same faith, one uh, as the other. We have a common faith, a common God, one, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father. Uh, we are one body. So we move together against this enemy. Let's not forget who our enemy is. Let's not forget that the enemy is not somebody that's a brother or sister in Christ. The enemy is not your spouse. <laughs> the enemy is the devil and his minions trying to stop us. And, and look, if you're taking ground for the Lord, you're going to have to expect some enemy arrows. It doesn't mean that they don't still hurt. It doesn't mean that there isn't. Sometimes you feel like you lose some ground Sometimes you forget the kind of battle you're in. We all, we all can face that. And so what I want to give to you tonight is a message about crossing over barriers to faith. And faith always has a barrier. And tonight's barrier is going to be a river. Uh, this particular image is to depict what they had to cross to take the promised land. And if you were with us on Sunday, we looked at Joshua's commissioning his call. Be strong and courageous. You're going to take over for Moses. You're going to lead the people into the promised land. And Joshua is going to take that role. Uh, one more I want to show you before you turn over to Joshua. It's in Luke. 
the Gospel of Luke, and it's about one of the, the struggles that we have and something that I would encourage you to be praying. So let's go all the way over to Luke. And let me just pull it up here on my computer. It is Luke 17. It's verse 3. Luke 17, verse 3 says, Pay attention to yourselves. Or New American Standard, be on your guard. Luke 17, 3. If your brother sins, rebuke him. If he repents, forgive him. If he sins against you, Luke 17, 4, Jesus speaking, seven times a day and returns to you seven times saying, I repent, forgive him. And the apostle said to the Lord, <laughs> what your Bible say? Increase our faith. Seven times a day, this person hurts me, sins against me, but then comes to me and says, I'm sorry, I repent. What's your job? You're supposed to forgive them according to Jesus. That's why the apostle's response is very human. <laughs> oh, Lord, give me more faith. Increase my faith. And so tonight, I want to talk to you about how you can increase your faith in the, with the obstacles that come at us in life. Okay, so we're going to anchor the bulk of our, the rest of our time in Joshua chapter 3. All right, you got the first five books of Moses, and then you're going to move into Joshua chapter 3. We pick up the account in verse 1 of Joshua 3, faith to cross over. Joshua rose early in the morning, Joshua 3, 1, and he and all the sons of Israel set out from Shittim and came to the Jordan. The Jordan means to descend or go down. That's the Jordan River. And they lodged there before they crossed. It came about at the end of three days, Joshua 3, 2, that the officers, they were something like those who served the 70 elders that were organized under Moses, they went through the midst of the camp. Now, Joshua and the people have come to a very significant time in their history. They've wandered in the wilderness for 40 days, and they wandered in the wilderness, I'm sorry, for 40 years, not 40 days. They wandered in the wilderness for 40 years. 40 days would have been much easier. For 40 years, what was the reason? One reason, unbelief. In fact, the, book, the writer of Hebrews says that was the issue. Now, it manifested itself in different ways, right? It was idolatry and sexual immorality, and there were other things that went with it, but unbelief was the root. Unbelief is really a lack of faith, right? And remember, faith is only as good as the object in which it is placed. Now, God had God given them enough reasons to believe him? I'd say so, Right? He did the mighty plagues. Uh, he had defeated the Egyptian army, drowned them in the Red Sea. And he was a constant presence as a pillar of fire by night and a cloud by day. He was with them in a visible way. So they had plenty. There were miracles with the water coming from the rock. There was the daily manna miracle, right? Every day they woke up and there was manna on the ground that they collected to eat. Their shoes did not wear out. There were so many things that went on. The angel of the Lord went before them. There were so many incredible things that God did, and yet they wallowed in unbelief just like you and I do. You ever, you ever have an issue with your faith? We all do, right? Sometimes we get 
we get hit, we get blindsided, we, we get tired, whatever it is. And I'll, I'll say to you that the Jordan River has now become their barrier into the promises. If you look at verse 2 for a moment, just focus on the phrase three days. Uh, they came about at, at the end of three days. So there's a three-day period of time where they're before this barrier. If you're a note-taker, faith will always have an obstacle. Faith if you're going to have an overcoming faith, you have to overcome something or multiple things, right? See, faith, if, it, if it's going to grow, if it's going to increase, it has to be stretched. So faith always has to have an obstacle or multiple obstacles that look bigger than you, whether it's the walls of Jericho, the Red Sea, the Egyptian army, giants in the land, you know, whatever the modern equivalent of an obstacle for you is, you have to know that faith is going to have a barrier. It's going to have an obstacle. That's why we want an overcoming faith. And so God allowed the children of Israel to come to the edge of the promise, just steps away from the promised land, and camp and look at the obstacle for three days. Why? Because God wanted them to see that he was going to overcome the obstacle. Their way would be blocked. They'd have to exercise faith. See, I guess you could say that obstacles can be looked at in two ways. You can look at an obstacle and say, ah, that's too much, I'm going home, which is probably what most Christians do. Or you can look at the obstacle as an opportunity for God to show his power. Amen? See, God wants Red Seas and Jordan Rivers at flood stage and giants and, and impenetrable walls to show that it's his power and not ours. But look, we've all had our moments that even though we say we believe, we say like the dad in the Gospels, Lord, I believe, but help my unbelief. We all feel that tension, right? You know, we, we believe, we've settled it, we're Christians, we believe the Bible, we believe in Jesus, but practically speaking, faith is not always easy to live out. And our giants, our obstacles are no different from the ancients that we read about. In fact, ours may be less, maybe they're more, but it can still be hard. Ian McLaren wrote, the highest joy to the Christian almost always comes through suffering. No flower can bloom in paradise which is not transplanted from Gethsemane, close quote. And so we need to understand Sometimes we are burdened excessively beyond our strength, 2 Corinthians 1.8, so that we might even despair of life. But we need to understand that it's so that we can realize that it's not our strength, it's God's. Indeed, we had the sentence of death within ourselves, says Paul, in order that we should not trust in ourselves, but in God who raises the dead, who delivered us from so great a peril of death and will deliver us, he on whom we have set our hope, and he will yet deliver us. 2 Corinthians 1, 8 through 10. Faith lessons need to be taught again and again because we are quick to forget. So sometimes we feel like, you know, I overcame that obstacle. I saw God's power. I trusted God. That's over, right? <laughs> no. <laughs> we have to be retaught in the school of faith over and over and over again because we are so... Uh, bent on retrusting ourselves and our own resources. So the officers commanded the people, verse 3, 
And they said, when you see the ark of the covenant of the Lord your God, this is the actual physical ark that the priests would carry, the ark that represented God's presence. When you see the ark of the covenant of the Lord your God with the Levitical priests carrying it the way they were supposed to on poles, then you shall set out from your place and go after it. NIV, you should follow it. So the, the key, the, 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 the alarm to go will be when you see the Ark of the Covenant. Now we've had faith's obstacle. Now let's talk about faith's object. If you've ever studied the tabernacle, which then became the physical temple, there was only one piece of furniture behind the curtain in the Holy of Holies. That piece of furniture was called the Ark of the Testimony or the Ark of the Covenant. And God said that he would meet with his people between the cherubim. And those were the angels' wings. And for some of us, the best we got is Indiana Jones, right? When they're, they're, they allegedly find the Ark and all of that. But if you've ever seen a, a depiction of the Ark, and I've seen a few of them and I've seen a couple of models of them, you have, you have the angels' wings touching, and God said, I would, I'll meet with my people above the mercy seat. And those, that place there was considered the mercy seat. And God would meet with his people right there. The Shekinah glory of God would come down, and of course he would meet there with the high priest once a year. So here's the Ark of the Covenant. Within the chest of that Ark, was the Ten Commandments and a jar of manna. Right at the transition from Deuteronomy to Joshua, the manna ceases. So the manna miracle lasted for 40 years and they preserved a jar of manna and put it inside the ark. They had the Ten Commandments in there, the two tables of the law. They had a jar of manna and they had one more thing. For those of you who are trivia Bible people, what, what was the last thing? It was the staff of Aaron that had budded, right? Those were the th three things within that chest. But on top of the chest was the mercy seat. And on the Day of Atonement, it got sprinkled with blood. And the word for mercy seat in Greek is hilasterion. And if you're taking notes, just write down Romans 3.25. And the mercy seat is now Jesus Christ. See, we don't meet with God anymore between the angels' wings on top of a golden chest. We meet with God through his Son, Jesus Christ. We come through the Son to the Father, as we sang about tonight. We come to the Father through the Son. He is the way. Literally, Jesus has become our mercy seat. It's his blood that now cancels out the law. Think about the law in the chest of the... Uh, Ark of the Covenant, testifying against us to God, but the blood of Christ now has dealt with the law. He's fulfilled the law. It was nailed to the cross, as we see in Colossians chapter 2. And so the Ark of the Covenant that was going to go before the people actually represents God himself. If you just remind yourself of a promise, which we've probably read multiple times in chapter 1 of Joshua, here's what God said to Joshua. He said, be strong, 1-6 of Joshua, and courageous, for you shall give this people possession of the land, Joshua 1-6, which I swore to their fathers to give them. Only be strong and very courageous. Be careful to do according to all the law which Moses, my servant, commanded you. Do not turn to, uh, from it to the right or to the left so that you may have success wherever you go. 
This book of the law shall not depart from your mouth. You shall meditate on it day and night so that you may be careful to do according to all that is written in it. For then you will make your way prosperous. Then you will have success. Have I not commanded you? Be strong and courageous. Don't tremble or be dismayed. For the Lord your God is what? He's with you wherever you go. The Ark of the Covenant, back to Joshua 3, represented God's very presence, where he would meet with the people on top of the mercy seat. And God's saying, now, this is what's going to happen. You're going to cross into the promised land, and I am going to go before you as pictured in the Ark of the Covenant. I am true to my promises. Amen? I will go before you. I will not fail you. I will not forsake you. I will lead the way. Jesus said, I'm the shepherd. You're the sheep. Follow me. Follow me. And I will make you fishers of men. Follow me into the promises. Follow me into the Father's will. Follow me into my Father's house. This is what he calls us to do. And we follow by faith. We walk by faith and not by sight. So Joshua, you could say in some ways this is a kind of Joshua's baptism. And I put that in quotes. Uh, there's a baptism of Moses mentioned in uh, 1 Corinthians 11 as he moved and led the people through the Red Sea. And uh, God did a mighty miracle there. And think about it. Moses had his burning bush experience where he takes off his sandals. He's on holy ground. Joshua, in jo chapter 5, we studied this Sunday, will have a holy ground experience where he removes his sandals and stands before the Lord. Moses led the people through the Red Sea. Joshua is going to have his own parting of the waters, but he's going to lead the people through the Jordan River. He's the new leader with similar miracles going on, as if God is saying, just as I use Moses, I will use you. Stand back and see the salvation of the Lord. And so the people are there. They have the Ark of the Covenant. That Ark is journeying before them. In the book of Numbers, uh, let's just take a peek. This is a, a cool verse, just a few pages back. Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, and then we get into Joshua. Go to Numbers 10 for a second. And take a peek at this. this. This is with the reference to the ark and what it represents. Numbers 10, 33. Numbers 10, 33. Thus they set out from the mount of the Lord three days journey with the ark of the covenant of the Lord journeying in front of them for three days to seek out a resting place for them. And the cloud of the Lord was over them by day, Numbers 10, 34, when they set out from the camp. Then it came about when the ark set out that Moses said, Rise up, O Lord. See how he, he links the ark of the covenant with the Lord himself. He says, And let thine enemies be scattered, and let those who hate thee flee before thee. And when it came to rest, he said, Return thou, O Lord, to the myriad thousands of Israel. When the ark was lifted, Moses asked God to rise. When it was put down, he asked his Lord to return to the people or host of Israel. In Joshua 3, also, there's a real sense in which the living God, the Lord of all the earth, who is giving Israel a new land, is also crossing the Jordan before them. Turn back to Joshua 3. For the Christian, what the ark represents is found in the person and work of Jesus Christ. He is the perfect embodiment of God's presence. You can see that especially in the Gospel of John. In the New Covenant, the Lord Jesus goes before us. 
the Ark of the Covenant, the most sacred of the tabernacle's furnishings, because it represented the Lord's throne. Thus the Lord himself went into the Jordan ahead of his, pe ahead of his people and led them into the promised land. This is what our God does. He says, where I call you to go, I will go before you. Where I ask you to show faith, I will part the river, open the sea, give you the power. Have you noticed that God will give you the power in the moment? <laughs> Usually not a moment before. <laughs> like, oh, Lord, help me. What are we going to do? Jordan River, giants in the land, walls of Jericho, real. And then all of a sudden, there's a supernatural power that comes into your life. However, they're warned about the ark. Verse 4, Joshua 3, There shall be between you and it, the ark, a distance of about 2,000 cubits. That's 1,000 yards. That's 10 football fields by measure. Do not come near it that you may know the way by which you shall go, for you have not passed this way before. There's a warning the Ark of the Covenant, reading from one author of the Lord, does not make many appearances in the pages of the Bible, but it is an extraordinarily potent presence when it is there. It has some of the characteristics of a military palladium. At sometimes it seems to embody the very power and presence of God himself. Israel carries it into battle when going against the Philistines in 1 Samuel 4. It's captured by the Philistines and topples their god Dagon from his very pedestal in 1 Samuel 5. On the ascent to Jerusalem, the wretched Uzzah, who sought only to support it with the oxen, stum uh, oxen stumbled, he was struck down dead, remember, by grabbing the ark instead of it being carried on poles. God is holy. Little wonder that Joshua should specify a good half mile should separate the ark and its priestly bearers from the main force. God's holy presence is connected to the ark. They were instructed to carry it on poles and not to touch it. And so there's a distance, there's a respect. In fact, it goes on to say, Joshua said to the people, verse 5, notice Joshua taking leadership, consecrate yourselves for tomorrow the Lord will do wonders among you. This speaks of a time of pre preparation or spiritual preparedness, personal cleansing, consecration, dedication, separation unto the Lord. Before the Lord's going to do the miracle, he wants consecration. What's consecration? It's cleansing. It's being reset apart. It's saying, oh Lord, if there be any wicked way in me, clean me of it. If there's any hurtful way in my heart, I repent of it. It seems that if we're going to be honest with ourselves, we probably have stuff to repent of every single day. Amen? I mean, it's, it's this world, you pick up dust, you know, you, you, can, you can get easily distracted, you can uh, fail in, in wanting to do even the things that you wish to do, like Romans 7, where Paul says, what I don't want to do, I find myself doing. And so we're to sanctify ourselves. 2 Corinthians 7.1 says, Therefore, having these promises, beloved, let us cleanse ourselves from all defilement of flesh and spirit. 2 Timothy 2.21 says, If a man cleanses himself from these things, he will be a vessel for honor, sanctified, useful for the master, prepared for every 
good work. I just put in my notes, oh Lord, sanctify and cleanse me and wash me and forgive me. Because there's so many times when I'm just not ready perhaps for you to work because I haven't prepared myself to be that clean vessel that you want me to be. Sometimes, you know, we're, the, the vessel is just muddied by the world. And God says, you know, if you want to see me work, you have a part to play here. Ultimately, the Lord is the one that cleanses us, right? But it seems like in the verses I just read to you, we have a part to play. We, repentance means we turn away from things that are defiling. Let me say that one more time. Repentance means we turn away from things that are defiling us. And this world is filled with defilements, arrows that sometimes, you know, we don't have our shield of faith up and, and they've come and they get under our skin. <laughs> Got anything getting under your skin right now? One of those flaming arrows get through. It burns, it burns. <laughs> sometimes we say, there's something under my skin. You know, we... Have you ever gotten one of those uh, splinters, piece of wood gets under your skin? Man, you, it seems like if it's a pretty good one, you can't do anything else until you get that thing out. It could be just a little piece of wood. And you're like, <laughs> get it out. You ever say that? Get it out. Looking for help around the house. And Joshua, here he is leading again, verse 6, spoke to the priests, and he said, take up the ark. We were told to take up our shield of faith. Here, take up the ark. Every piece of armor is really putting on the Lord Jesus Christ. It's putting on God. Remember, I told you spiritual armor is a, is, it's spiritual. It's a, these things are metaphors. But here, you, they're, they're to take up. We take up the shield of faith. Uh, Ephesians 6.16. Now they take up the ark of the covenant and cross over ahead of the people. Levit Levitical priests that carry the ark. They took up the ark of the covenant and went ahead of the people. The ark represents the presence of God. Now the Lord said to Joshua, This day I will begin to exalt you in the sight of all Israel, that they may know that just as I have been with Moses, I will be with you. 1 Peter 5, 6, and 7 says, Humble yourselves under the mighty hand of God, that he may exalt you at the proper time. Cast all your anxiety upon him, because he cares for you. You humble yourself under the mighty hand of God, he'll exalt you at the proper time. Leadership in God's kingdom is keyed by humility. It's humility. It's not pride. It's not forcing oneself in. It's letting God do the work. The Lord said, I'm going to do the work and I'm going to begin to exalt you as I did Moses in front of the people. I've chosen you to lead. I'm going to be with you. You shall, moreover, eight, command the priests who are carrying the Ark of the Covenant, saying, when you come to the edge of the waters of the Jordan, you shall stand still in the Jordan. Now, when the people of Israel came out of Egypt, there's over a million people. And we know that that generation, 20 years and up, died off in the wilderness. But 40 years is a long time for a million people to you know, have children and uh, have a big population. I don't know the exact number of people that crossed the Jordan, but let's just assume that it was about the equivalent number. Let's say it was a million people. Can you imagine being one of those priests? You get to stand in the middle of the Jordan till a million people cross into the promised land. 
I can barely wait two minutes in the drive-thru for a burrito. Come on now. Anybody feeling me out there? And, you know, if you're one of the priests, you might say, boy, that's, that's going to take a while, a million people to cross a river. Even if the river wasn't at flood stage, that would take a while. I'd be looking at my partners behind me saying, didn't I do the dishes last night? Isn't it your turn to carry the ark? Isn't it your turn to lead? This was a job. See, there's a command that goes to the priest. And when you're in leadership, you got to take a lead, right? You, you got to lead the way. You got to take steps of faith. And you're going to stand still in the Jordan. In Psalm 46.10, a psalm we studied during the pandemic, God says, be still and know that I am God. I will be exalted among the nations. I will be exalted in the earth. Brethren, I want to say to you that I've always known the be still and know that I'm God part. I've had that as one of my verses for years. Part B of Psalm 4610 says, I will be exalted in all the earth. Don't freak out. God's plan for the planet he made will be accomplished. Amen? Amen. I will be exalted. You can be still. I got this. That's what the verse is saying. You can be still. Don't freak out. I will be exalted in all the earth. Every knee will bow. Every tongue will confess. Just stand still and see my salvation. Joshua said to the sons of Israel, come here. Hear the words of the Lord your God. Verse 10, Joshua said, by this you shall know that the living God is among you and that he will assuredly dispossess before you. Here's the people that were in the land. The Canaanite, the Hittite, the Hivite, the Perizzite, the Girgashite, the Amorite, the Jebusite. Behold, the ark of the covenant of the Lord of all the earth. He's the Lord of all the earth, not just a portion of Israel, not just a portion of Canaan. He's the Lord of all the earth. The earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof. Psalm 24, verse 1. He's crossing over ahead of you as pictured in the ark into the Jordan. Wherever the Lord calls you, he will go before you. He's going to advance against the foe. He's going to advance against the bales of the land and the false gods and goddesses. Don't worry. Be still and know. Now then, he says, take for yourselves 12 men from the tribes of Israel, one man for each tribe. And it shall come about when the soles of the feet of the priests who carry the ark of the Lord of all the earth shall rest in the waters of the Jordan. The waters of the Jordan shall be cut off and the waters which are flowing down from above shall stand in one heap. Now this was part of the miracle that God was going to stop the waters. I was looking, I did a quick search on the river and here's what I found at flood stage the Jordan River is one mile wide. The water moves at 10 miles per hour. And the river is 150 feet deep. Ray Vanderlaan, who did an on-site teaching at the Jordan, and some of you have been with us uh, to the uh, land of Israel. Some of you have gone with other tours. When the, river, when the river's at flood stage, and verse 15 says that it was, the topography of the land is such, and this is what one historian says, that... If you step into the water as a priest, your first step is literally a step over your head or 150 feet down. 
In other words, you can't just put your toe in the water and say, is it 84? I like the pool around 84. Anybody, anybody like that? I remember when we first got a pool at my house, we filled it with water and it was winter time and we decided to jump in. And boy, when that water on the off season, when the sun hasn't heated up the water, and I've noticed as I get older, I'm a little wimpy when it comes to cold water. Anybody else out there? I like to stick my tongue. What's the temperature? Is it 84.5? I just, just got to check it, right? But the first step for the priest apparently was a step where if God doesn't stop the water, you in over your head, baby. And that's what we don't like. We want the toe in the water kind of faith. Let's see what happens here. Let, let's just see how the water is. Oh, it's fine. But the step of faith, which requires that unless God shows up, you're gurgling, we don't like as much. In fact, I have to admit, I don't like it at all. If I'm the front guy on the ark that day, that's a very uncomfortable position to be in. Because now somebody looks at you and says, so do you believe the Lord? Because you're stepping in over your head. And by the way, that's exactly where God wants you. Rats. <laughs> and double rats. Because now I'm not in control. I like control. I know the song says, Jesus, take the wheel, but my flesh says, Michael, take the wheel. <laughs> right? I know it's quiet, but I, I, I know you're feeling me. See, the priests are told, you're going to have to step in or there's no miracle. You're going to have to take a step of faith. We talk about steps of faith all the time as Christians, right? Take a step of faith. Unless you take a step of faith, the way I take the language is you're going to stand next to the river until you step in, and there will be no miracle until you step in. And this is the part our faith plays. God's going to stop the waters, but he wants us to believe him. And that's the challenge. And I could imagine that maybe there were some conferences at the edge of the, the river. <laughs> we prayed about this. We sure. Should we throw a fleece out? <laughs> See, this is when it's tough to be in front leading. But God said, I'm stepping in before you. I'm here as represented in the ark. I'm going to open the way. And I want you to trust me. So it came about when the people set out from their tents across the Jordan with the priests carrying the Ark of the Covenant before the people, 15. When those who carried the Ark came into the Jordan and the feet of the priests carrying the Ark were dipped or touched in the edge of the water, for the Jordan overflows all its banks all the days of harvest. So we can see the river was at flood stage, that the waters which were flowing down from above stood and rose up in one heap a great distance away at Adam, the city that is beside Zarethan. And those which were flowing down towards the Sea of Arabah, or the Salt Sea, that's the Dead Sea, 
in the southern part of Jerusalem or in, in Israel were completely cut off. So the people crossed opposite Jericho. So we're now we're kind of down on the bottom of Israel where the Sea of Salt is and where Jericho is. And you can see the ancient city of Jericho. It's literally the city of palms. And if you ever have been there, there's palm trees all around. And the Sea of Salt is also known as the Dead Sea. And the people cross over into the Promised Land. And God stops the water. <laughs> and a million people have to cross. And there you are as one of the priests. <laughs> All right. Hurry up. Hurry up. You can talk later. Don't you people have homes? Oh, you don't have them. Come on, move, move. <laughs> I don't know how long that water is going to hold out. Can you imagine if you saw the water from a distance and it had been as though an invisible hand had stopped the water and you're just like, hurry up, hurry up. let's go. Because if he releases it, we in trouble. And the people crossed and they crossed. And part of our faith is patience and it's hard. Sometimes when we're waiting on God or others, it can be hard. But the priest stood there and the Lord did this miracle. He stopped the waters. One writer says it was as though an enormous invisible barrier had suddenly shut off the river at its source. The huge volume of water which had already descended was made to turn backward and stand in one heap in a congealed mass. It was a wall of water, an invisible hand was holding back the water until all the nation had crossed. How long it took, I'm sure it was hours and hours and hours. And the priests who carried the Ark of the Covenant 17 of the Lord stood firm. The Bible says, says, stand firm in your faith, 1 Peter 5, verse 9, knowing that these same experiences of suffering are being experienced by your brethren all over the world. Stand firm in your faith, brethren. They stood firm on dry ground. That's part of the miracle. The ground was dry in the middle of the Jordan while all Israel crossed on dry ground. Part of the miracle, the dry ground, until all the nation had finished crossing. Faith to cross over into the promises of God. Some of you know uh, Ray um, Hooper. I, that is correct last name, right? And uh, Ray uh, was here on Sunday and he's been battling some health issues. I want you to turn all the way to Isaiah 43 and we're done. And Ray came here to church the last couple of Sundays and he if you know Ray, he wasn't, he wasn't doing well. And uh, we had a chance to visit Ray, and it looks like Ray's going to cross over. Um, and please keep his family in prayer. His, his mom, Carol, and his sister, Debbie, come here. And they, uh, they love the fellowship here. They love God's word. They love God's people. And uh, Carol and Debbie, keep them in prayer. And I know that there's probably some other, um, you know, situations represented in this room where people need prayer in your family. But we were at the hospital a little earlier, and, and I just want, wanted to remind you that faith to cross over also means that we're going to cross over to the other side, to our heavenly inheritance. And um, that's what we trust in. 
Final uh, verses just to encourage you as we close out a message on faith is Isaiah 43, verse 1. Now, thus says the Lord, your creator, O Jacob, and he who formed you, O Israel, do not fear. I've redeemed you. I've called you by name. You are mine. When you pass through the waters, Isaiah 43, 2, I will be with you. And through the rivers, they will not overflow you. When you walk through the fire, you will not be scorched, nor will the flame burn you. For I am the Lord your God, the Holy One of Israel, your Savior. I've given Egypt as your ransom, Cush and Seba in your place. Since you are precious in my sight, since you are honored and I love you. I will give other men in your place and other peoples in exchange for your life. Do not fear, I am with you. I will bring your offspring from the east and gather them from you from the west. I will say to the north, give them up. And to the south, do not hold them back. Bring my sons from afar and my daughters from the ends of the earth. Everyone who is called by my name and whom I have created for my glory, whom I have formed, even whom I have made. Father, we thank you for your living word. I pray that you would increase our faith as we look at faith's obstacles and faith's object. We look at this stand that Joshua and the priests and the people took. They stepped in a step literally over their heads, but you were faithful and true. You would not fail them or forsake them. You would never leave them. You went into the river before the people as is pictured in the Ark of the Covenant and you stopped the waters. You dried the ground and they passed over into the promises. And that's the faith that we need, Lord. We want to take up our shield of faith with which we can extinguish all of the flaming arrows of the evil one. They come Sometimes we feel like that scorched porcupine. But thank you that we have that shield to protect us and that you've taken the arrows of the enemy for us. You especially took them at the cross as you had your hands and feet nailed to that cross. But you made a public display of principalities and powers triumphing over them through the cross. And we're so grateful for the gospel of Jesus Christ. And my friends, uh, those of you who are watching live stream or you're here right now, if you've not met Jesus, if you've not covered yourself in the sun, if you're not in him, he is a prayer away. And he's going to ask you to repent of your sin and trust him, his death on the cross his triumphant resurrection for your salvation. If you know him, rejoice. He is faithful. He'll never leave you or forsake you. If you don't know him, would you cry out to him tonight? Oh, Lord Jesus, save me. And he will. Father, thank you for your living word. May you bless your people. Fill them with joy and peace and strength and courage. In Christ's name, amen. Would you stand?